Hi, and welcome to Content People. I'm your host, Meredith Farley. I'm a former chief product officer turned chief operating officer turned CEO and founder. My agency is called Medberry. At Medberry, we work with founders, execs, and companies who want to tell their stories and grow. But Content People is not about me or Medberry. It's about the creative leaders and professionals that we interview every week. We'll delve into their journeys, unpack their insights, and ask them for practical advice. If you like it, please rate and subscribe. Let's get started. So, hi, Drew. Thank you so much for joining. I'm really excited to have you on Content People and really appreciate your time. You've become an expert on AI, particularly mid-journey, which we're going to talk about, but you've also had a great career in marketing and you have a really successful personal brand on LinkedIn, and I'm excited to dig into all of that with you. To start, for folks who are listening but who maybe aren't super familiar with you, could you just talk a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, I would love to. So my name is Drew Brucker. I'm the VP of growth at a company called Lasso. So we are a SaaS company primarily focused on event production. And so what that means is any live event, conference, festival, concert, any, anything that's live, there are event production companies that put on that event. So let's just say hypothetically, we're talking about HubSpot's inbound conference, which is right around the corner. HubSpot would hire most likely a couple of these event production companies to help prep before, during, and after the show when it comes to audio, lighting, the stage setup. So all that sort of logistical setup component that goes into the event. So we provide software for those companies, anything from workforce management software to inventory, that whole suite of products, so what you would call a vertical SaaS company. Wow, thank you for that. And for folks who have listened to Content People for a while, Jess Cook, who was on the show, is also at Lasso, and Drew and Jess work together. Drew is Jess's boss. So some interesting constellating, I feel like, relationships are happening on the show. But Sometimes she's my boss. <laughs> I could see that. I feel like the moment I talked to Jess, I was like, you tell me what to do and I will do it. Yeah, um, it, it's funny too, because Jess and I, you were talking about LinkedIn and the personal brand stuff. Jess and I met organically off LinkedIn and we started posting around the same time. And it was one of those situations where if you've posted on LinkedIn, you know how this works, but somebody will start to show up for you and comment on some of your posts and then you do the same for them. And then over time, you build a little bit of this relationship and it just got to the point where we had been doing that for, I think, a couple months. And I was like, hey, you want to like just hop on a Zoom? Let's connect. Let's meet. Let's, I would love to just learn more about you and what you're working on. And so we did that. Great conversation. And then several months went by. We did it again and just stayed in touch and eventually got to a point where I needed somebody to run content for my team. And first thing I thought of is, let me see if I can steal somebody that I already know, but I already know is really good. And so that's what I did. And luckily she was willing to listen to me and the timing was right. And it's been a fun ride working with her ever since. I love that story. And actually then I'm going to jump ahead because I was going to save LinkedIn for later, but let's dig in now because I really wanted to ask you about it. You have a really devoted following on LinkedIn. I love following you and your content. I've learned a lot from you. You get a ton of engagement and I know so many folks, it seems like an increasing number of folks are really interested in understanding and doing well on LinkedIn these days. So yeah, I'm curious, like, why did you first start posting on it? And what do you think has made you successful at LinkedIn? 
There wasn't like a, a certain inflection point where it was like, oh my God, I have to start doing this immediately kind of thing. But I did start to take notice of when I was on LinkedIn, starting to see the shift of people not just posting blog links and talking about their business or this or that and the other, more of that self-promotional stuff. I, I saw people starting to share knowledge, experiences, and then look in the comments and, and people are reciprocating. And so I started putting two and two together and I was like, you know what? This seems like a really good move. And if nothing else, I think I can test and iterate ideas and maybe get some feedback and just build a, a network a little bit. One of the things that COVID opened our eyes up to a lot, I'm not alone in this, was like the need to be around people, even if you didn't have them in person, right? So that whole Zoom era, and I was never a big networker up until about two, two years ago. I, I hated networking. I hated the idea of it. It wasn't natural. And LinkedIn provided this nice, easy way to do it. Because like I was saying, the story with Jess, that, that same story played out several times over with a lot of different other people. And so I just became genuinely interested in other people. And I felt, hey, look, if somebody's going to keep showing up for me and I'm going to keep showing up for them. Let's solidify this relationship a little bit further. So it lasts because another thing is people come and go, right? You'll see some people that show up for you for a while and then they just disappear, whether that's the algorithm or whatever. And I'm sure I've done the same for other people, but I don't know. That was just like a big eye opener for me. And I started to really very quickly understand the value that was attached to it right? It's like, all I'm doing is showing up and posting. And I feel like once you get over that initial barrier of just showing up and knowing what you're going to post and not being afraid of it, just flopping and no one liking it, or what if I sound like an idiot? Or what if I'm judged by somebody I work with or somebody I used to work with? If you can get over that, it really becomes very easy. And the dividends it's, it pays just compound over time. So I would say, yeah, after 30 days, it was like, yeah, I'm going to, there's no way I'm going to stop doing this. So that my, was my commitment to myself is I'm just going to post five days a week for 30 days, see what happens. And I would say two, three weeks in, it was like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to keep doing this. Yeah. That really resonates with me a lot. Even I think I've been doing it for less than you, even for my own agency, I've found some really amazing freelancers, just people who I was liking their stuff. And then I noticed, oh, they, this is what they do. Let's have a conversation. And also the bit about not being afraid for something to flop because I feel like maybe the first six weeks or so I posted something, I would feel such deep cringe after posting. And I'd be like, oh my God, if this only gets like seven likes, someone put me out of my window. I'm so embarrassed. Yeah. And I don't know when it happened, but suddenly I was like, who cares? All right, next. Like the downside was gone and it was all upside. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of an ego killer in that sense. Yeah. Right? Because no one really jumps on there and immediately has an audience. I've seen a lot of people that are really, have really big followings on Twitter, then come over to LinkedIn and they don't get a 10th of the engagement they do on Twitter. Right. But they've, they're starting back in that same sense of where people are starting in general. Right. You, you can't expect to have 20, 30, 40, 50 plus likes as soon as you show up, maybe you have something that pops off and goes a little bit viral in that sense, but it's not going to happen. So you just have to prepare yourself to say, what's the worst thing that can happen? And the reality is, I can't even tell you the last post I just scrolled past on LinkedIn. No one's going to remember. 
no one's going to remember. And what they will remember though, is like you just said, you really like my content. You, there's something about it that resonates with you. It may not be one particular post, right? But maybe there's some sort of personality to it, or it's got some attributes about it. That's what they're going to remember. Not any one individual post. And I guarantee you, no one's going back and saying, let me check on this post, post five hours later to see if they got it engaged. It's not happening. So you just got to let that go. And all the other great things are on the other side of that. I think that's such good advice for yourself. Do you feel like it took you a while to find your voice? You're a very, I think you're a very compelling writer. You write very conversationally. You get to the point really fast. Like, how did that take shape for you? Yeah, one of like, one of the big things that I started really thinking about very heavily right when I started, and I think this was also a caveat or a component of getting me involved. I was listening to a lot of Dickie Bush and Nicholas Cole if you're familiar with them, then they did some cohort classes and things on writing every day and how to write hooks. And this was like before anybody was talking about it. And I started listening to that and I was like, I always love to write. I was like, okay, so there's like a compelling way to tell a story and come up with a post, but also the hardest part, what do I write about? And so their whole framework is basically how to generate ideas quickly, very quickly in terms of what you can write about. And you're right. I didn't have a, I didn't know what I wanted to talk about. I didn't really have a voice at first. No one does. It's very rare that you start and you immediately know hundred percent what you're going to talk about. You need to feel that out. I think I was, a lot of people make the mistake of just trying to be somebody that they're not when they first start. So just be authentic. Think about the things that maybe are a little bit of a unique experience for you. And another really good method is just to think about yourself a few years ago, that was actually something that came up with Nicholas Cole and Dickie Bush was think of yourself two years ago and write to your future self. So in my experience, this is what I wish I would have known then, right? Like 10 things I wish I could have changed about X to do Y, right? So all of those things in that documenting of your journey, both in the current tense or the past are really good options to start with. And they're authentic and unique to you. So you don't have to feel like you're grasping for straws to come up with something. I think that's really good advice. Is there anything you'd say is a big, I don't know, LinkedIn don't from a performance or maybe even just from a LinkedIn etiquette perspective where you're like, okay, just start, but do not do this. Don't. Having said that, don't wait for this perfect idea of what you're going to write about before you start. You're not going to know that, right? The biggest thing is just start. You'll figure it out. And the other, I would say don't. So just make sure that you're not posting and expecting all these things to happen. You do have to cultivate relationships. So that means, yes, you post, but you also show up for other people's posts, right? And you leave thoughtful comments and you build relationships in the DMs or on Zooms, right? Like some of the unscalable things, you really have to do it first. And there are no shortcuts either. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I've grown a lot on LinkedIn. Yes, a lot of doors have opened, but I've spent a lot of time on the platform. And that's both comes with pros and cons. But I think in terms of the career and what it sets you up for, the cons don't even come close to the pros. And so just show up for other people, be authentic, be consistent. So don't just show up and post once and then not show up again for a week or for four days. I think you really do need to put in the reps and I, that will expedite your learning process too, in terms of what you want to write or what you're going to write. 
about. And so that consistency is important. Like I said, I, I started with five days a week. I just said Monday through Friday. And I would say that's pretty good. Three, I do think is fine. But again, there's a little bit of that drop off. And you think about how much five compounds over time versus three. Interesting. It's all relative to what your expectations are and maybe how fast you want those things to happen. That's, I really like what you just said, even about three verse five. I think this is all awesome advice. And I think something that's within what you're saying, but I would also want to call out too, is that I think some, there's some folks out there, these are, I guess these are just people I'm seeing on LinkedIn, no one I've talked to in real life. So I feel like I have to be like mindful of that, but like just post every day and it'll happen. And I do think the posting is important and the consistency is the foundation. But you do, you're saying this too, like you have to pay attention and evolve. And like, it's not just because you posted a hundred days in a row that something popped off for you. It's because you you posted consistently and then, and figured things out and paid attention and responded. Yeah. And you'll, there really is something to the reciprocation of providing comments and thoughtful ideas in other circles because LinkedIn is just a bunch of little bubbles, right? So it's, if I start to show up for so-and-so all the time, my audience is going to start to blend into his or hers a little bit. And I've seen that play out too, but a lot of the people that are posting that you probably see a lot of have been posting for a little while now. And there's a lot of that interconnective tissue between people that are posting just in general. So I found myself like really getting involved in those as much as possible. So if I knew there was an opportunity to maybe connect with somebody that was a little bit bigger than me, had been posting longer than me, I I try to connect on a Zoom and try to learn from them a little bit. What are you saying? What are you doing? What have you, you know, what guided your success with these things? And so it's not rocket science, right? It's just really about putting in the work and thinking of other people before yourself, just like really being altruistic and like, how can I help you? I'd, if you can help me, I'd love to help you in return. Let's just see how we can help raise each other up. I love that you're saying that because I feel like that framing has also been helpful for me too. I think there are some folks, friends of mine even, who feel like they're like, I could never post on LinkedIn. The self-promotion aspect of it feels so uncomfortable for them. But I actually think it's the opposite of that, that makes one successful and can keep you in some good energy if you do it consistently. It's showing up, being altruistic, being of use, trying to think of what did I wish, what you said earlier, what did I wish I knew a few years ago? And in some ways, it's like what's fun and positive and also does well on the platform is the opposite, really, of selfish self-promotion. I I think if you go too far in the self-promotion, like if you start getting into that habit, you've, tr- you've went off the trail, right? Because there are so many other ways to appeal with the content that you have on LinkedIn. It could be to talk about something that uh, maybe is a hot topic. It could be to share, like we just talked about, share your individual experience with something and the learning lessons that took place. Um, it could be, you know, a little bit aspirational, right? Like what you're trying to do or what you hope to do. And, and one other thing that I like to say, too, is think about talking about how I instead of how you. So it doesn't have to be so dictatorial in terms of, especially if you're just starting, hey, this is how you do this, black and white, absolutely. Instead, this is how I did this, mm-hmm. right? It's much more, it's less self-promotional and 
people can't really poke holes in that. You know what I mean? It's, there's no absolute in that. It's what worked for you. It's what you went through. It's, it's your takeaways. And so I think that if you do find yourself going self-promotion, you veered off the path a little bit. That's so interesting. Thank you. And so the two guys that you mentioned, it was Dickie Bush and Nicholas Cole. Are they, is it podcasts or bloggers? What's their platform? They, they do have a podcast. They're really big on Twitter. That's where they got their start. I think they do post both on LinkedIn, but again, I don't think their following's quite as big. But they do a cohort co uh, class that I didn't sign up for, but I've just seen social proof littered through the ages, right? And I know in listening to their podcast, how they think about writing and how they've started their own side hustles on business. And it's just very well articulated and strategic. And they're just a, a fountain of information and educational content. If you're looking to understand, hey, how should I write? Who should I write for? What's authentic? All the things we've already mentioned. Totally. I will check them out. Thank you. So for folks who are interested in your career journey and how you got here, could you just paint as detailed or undetailed a picture? Yeah, I'll try to give you the real shortened version of this. First part of my career I spent in sales. I was fine with it. It just wasn't really a passion. When I eventually got to this point where I had gone down this career path of, okay, now what do I do? And just so happened that I was able to utilize the industry I was in and make the jump over to the marketing side. I had no marketing experience other than knowing Facebook really well at the time, which depending on how old you are, was actually a pretty good skill to have for a minute. Like there were a lot of people that older generations that had no idea what to do with Facebook. This was really before everybody's parents and stuff were on there and really familiar with it. And so there were a number of ways that I was able to train and educate in my sales role, the internal team and company that I worked for. And it just so happened that that was like really good practice to go into the marketing side. I eventually worked in a, a corporate office for a regional team of, it was like 130, 30, 130 apartment communities. So like we, we basically had an entire portfolio and I was the digital marketing person for the entire portfolio. And so wow. I would basically utilize the experience I had on the sales side and then couple that with the marketing stuff and say, hey, look, these are the areas for opportunity in terms of generating more people to come through the door. You know, and that's how I got into that lead or marketing mindset. And so I did that for a while, leveled up really quickly, and I just kept pushing the ceiling. I made a few really quick jumps, like where I was at a role for a year, maybe a year and a half of the most. And I just said to myself, look, if there's either more money I could make or an opportunity to really expedite my learning, I'm, I'm going to take the jump. And that's not super comfortable for me. I don't like to jump into a new role. I like to know everything as quickly as possible. And that resulted in a lot of like jumps and new experiences and really a quick level up. And right before I got to Lasso, I was advising for an entire portfolio of SaaS companies within a private equity group. And so we had 35 SaaS companies that I would advise and consult for. And eventually just got to the point where I missed getting my hands dirty in the work as well. And I wanted to get back to that startup environment and Lasso presented itself. And I just thought, man, this is a really great opportunity. The timing just sucks because I'm getting ready to have twin girls. Oh my gosh. Congratulations. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so I was like, you know what? Let's just, let's just YOLO it. 
Like <laughs> it's going to be a mess anyway. Let's just do it. And so I pulled the trigger on it, had kids at the same time. The first year was so hard trying to balance both those things, but eventually the dust settled a little bit and that, that's what brought me to Lasso. And I've been there two and a half years and been a really fun ride. And I'm working with a great team, obviously with Jess on board too. And yeah, I've just really enjoyed it. Wow. What a journey. Congrats on twin girls. You're actually the second person I talked to today who has twin girls who are two I'm and a half years Yeah, They're up. amazing. So you made a pivot, which a lot of people are so interested in doing. And you've explained, it sounds like there was opportunity for you in that you, you understood stuff about Facebook. You were able to parlay that into broadening your responsibilities and then switching teams. For folks listening who are like, I'm not in marketing, maybe they're in sales or they're in more account management or, and they want to get into it. Do you have any words of wisdom for them? Or do you think it's just so specific and unique to a situation that's hard to advise? I think there are some things that you can give advice on with that. What I would always say is depending on what role you're going for, right? Tailor your resume to that. So if you are looking to go from sales to marketing, what are some of the marketing initiatives that you've had a hand in? Mm -hmm. And can you tell a compelling story in that way? Because at the end of the day, you're going to need someone to take a little bit of a chance on you. And the best way to do that is to try to give them as much proof that this isn't that big of a chance, mm -hmm. right? Like you're trying to leverage all the great things that you've already done over here. And now you can do it over here and it's going to make you an even better marketer because most marketers don't think like sales, right? So, so what are those differentiators that would make you unique to this role versus somebody that is just moving from one marketing role to another obvious thing that stands out is, hey, look, like I'm malleable. I'm not stuck in my ways, right? I'm constantly learning and adapting. Whereas maybe somebody else that's been in marketing has a very rigid and structured way they like to go about doing it. And I think that's fine. But marketing is one of those things that's changing all the time. And so there's value in being a lifelong learning and being curious. And so connect those dots that make sense to connect to and try to focus solely on building the relationships as well. Because another way to get over that hump is to have a strong relationship built in the first place. You know what I mean? If I don't know anybody and I'm going to a company and I am trying to make that leap from sales and marketing yeah, and they've got somebody that's just as good of a, that's a solid marketer sitting next to me, they're probably going to take that person unless you've told a really compelling story and maybe you already know this person either through exchanging DMs or you've got a mutual connection. That's where LinkedIn comes into play, right? So I think that's also a very powerful component and reason to be on there is if I'm gone from Lasso tomorrow, I feel like I hopefully have built a good enough network and safety net to say, hey, look, I would love to look at this or this, right? And people have my back. And I've seen that happen with other people. Getting a little off track, but I think it's all about giving yourself the best chance you can, taking a step back and not expecting to get a roll over somebody like me who maybe I've just done marketing for a while and you're now making the pivot. That's going to be hard to do. You need to have your individual advantages that you can bring to the table. No, I, I think that's really good advice. It's make sure that in your resume, in your presentation of yourself, you're telling your story, you're telling your narrative. If you can present the move you'd like to make is actually like representative of something that's advantageous about you. 
and exactly. then networking. I think that's all really good advice. That's uh, exactly right. One thing, I wonder if mid-journey is your like Facebook 2.0, just something that you're like ahead of the curve on with, but you post so much about mid-journey and I wanted to ask you some questions about it. First, I'm really curious, how did you get into mid-journey? Or- the AI stuff's fascinating. Like NFTs were big about a year and a half ago and that that buzz was there and I was looking very heavily into that and it was a space that I was reading up on and diving into and playing around with. Do you um, have Top Shot? <laughs> what's that? Do you have No, I didn't. I didn't. I just, I like to continue learning. And I think what's really cool about AI is it feels like Web 2.0 mm-hmm. as an adult. I, when, when the internet really came mainstream into households everywhere with the dial up and all that, I remember that very vividly, but I was a kid. I didn't really truly understand the global implication implications or the economic implications at that time and i wasn't in my career right so there wasn't any sort of leverage or anything like that for me to build i just with mid-journey it was a perfect sort of thing because i was actually sitting around and i was like yeah i've been posting on linkedin for a while i like talking about marketing but i feel like it's i love marketing but it's not like my passion right is there something that blends into marketing that i'm passionate about and so I'm a photographer. I love to do design. So I've got a whole other sort of like creative element to me. And when Midjourney really came out with, I think, V4, which was like at the beginning of 2022, I started playing around with it and quickly was just like, oh, this is super cool. This is super cool. The images had gotten a lot better from previous versions, but they still weren't great. So it was like one of those tools where you're like, oh, this is fun, but I don't know if I'd use this for work yet. And what's really happened between then and now is Midjourney is taking these huge leaps forward in terms of the quality, the capabilities, and now it's got a real use case in B2B environments. Not only B2B, B2C every, everywhere, but I would assume a lot of folks here might be B2B and B2B is typically, right, moves a little slower than everybody else. And so I see this as an opportunity to share what I'm going through and experiencing and seeing with everybody else, because I want B2B to ride this wave. This is something where you don't have to spend hours scrapping through Shutterstock to find an okay image, or you have to hire an expensive photographer to go on site and shoot these kind of shots. And here's the mood board, right? There is another way now. And my goal is just to mix the passion, right? Like the fun part of it and the utilization of how we're using it at Lasso and just share that with other people that um, are willing to listen. Yeah, I mean, I look at your posts every day. They're so interesting. And I do want to pick your brain about it a little bit. For one thing no. I'm curious about is how are you guys using it at Lasso? What's the use case for you all right now, at least? Yeah, we've used it in several ways already. I would, I'll give you one really good example that I think crosses a few different thresholds here. So we did a customer only event at a trade show recently. It was about two months ago now. And in preparation for that event, we had customers sign up and save their seat. This was like a perfect opportunity to use ChatGPT because what we wanted to do is come up with fun names for the event that tied into Lasso and cowboy culture and Wild West, thinking about instead of save your seat, save your saddle, 
like coming up with this fun lingo using like something like ChatGPT and then building the, the landing page where people would sign up, we need a really good compelling image. And so that image actually created a mid-journey. Oh, wow. And you've got a landing page image. You've got copy that was really crafted in a lot of ways using ChatGPT. And people signed up. And then when we showed up for this event, we had printed out, like we, we put together swag and merchandise for this event. Candles, coasters, that swag was based on imagery we developed in mid-journey. So that came to life. Oh, and wow. then also everything that we showed in that presentation for these customers, that entire slide deck, all of those images in the background were generated with mid-journey, right? So thinking about building out a branded library of images takes a lot of time, right? Especially if you're in yeah. Shutterstock, which no offense to Shutterstock, I'm like throwing them under the bus a lot, but <laughs> depending on what industry, like you may not have very many options. And even if you do have options, they're probably not great. And even if they're not great and you need people in those images, we've all seen the same people that appear on several websites. And so there's nothing unique about it. Painful, it's time consuming. There's nothing unique about it. And so this really has the ability to make your brand unique, build into the character with the imagery that you can create, give it a personality. If you want to use for us, like we use a lot of like yellow lighting with like with dark backgrounds, like that moody lighting, because a lot of our end customers are on site and they are in dark environments, right? Yeah. They got their black clothes and they're putting together the events and all this stuff. So like you can really match all these scenic elements into your brand. Whereas before you couldn't have that possibility. And it, it, that use case alone has so many different layers to it. It's the swag, it's the deck, it's the landing page. I'm sure I'm forgetting a few other things, but like all of that was based on the foundation of AI, including Midjourney. That is so cool. And yeah, that, first of all, that's so creative and interesting about the, the lighting and the choices around the experience for your, your customers. And it's also so cool that you're able to do a sub-brand for this particular event, which also just sounds like a super cool event that you guys did. It was did. fun. And that was like really like my first time putting it into that kind of use case. So it was an experimental thing for me too, which of course we're marketers. We love experimenting. So I've messed around a couple of times in MidJourney. What do you have to bring to it insofar as what you ask it to generate? Maybe you could walk me through that. I'm such a novice when it comes to MidJourney. So like, you have the idea, I imagine, and you want some imagery, then what? A couple of different ways you could go about it. One, I would say if you've already got like a good image in terms of maybe the vibe or the style. Okay. You could go about using that as like an initial, what's called a describe, like I'm trying not to get too tactical in the weeds, but like a describe command. And what MidJourney will do is basically take that image, deconstruct it, and put together a bunch of words that it thinks makes up that image in terms of how you could prompt it. Okay. It's not a it's not a one for one exactly, but it comes very close. Let's just use that example I just gave for a second. If I've got a yellow lighting, a dark background, I've got somebody in the image, maybe there's like some scenic elements where there's a stage behind them or whatever. I could drop that into mid-journey and, and hit describe. Okay. And it'll jump out with a bunch of words and options for me to basically use and jump on. So I, I could start there. 
the other way that I actually did this was I said, okay, I want to have our brand colors in it. So thinking about if it's a person, maybe they're wearing a yellow or a black shirt, right? Simple right. stuff like this or the lighting, right? Because we're at shows. Yeah, we could have any color lighting, but man, it'd be cool if there was like this yellow lighting too, right? To feel more brand centric. And so like thinking about that comes into play. Demographics, right? So if there's a particular demographic to your ICP, what's your brand color? What's your brand personality? What kind of, if, if somebody's, if you're taking, uh, creating images of people, kind of expression should they have? Is this like a serious nature, like cybersecurity? Is this, are they in relief? Are they happy? Like you can make all of these adjustments just in proper. I think mid-journey, you, one needs to access it through Discord. Is that right? Currently, yes. Important to know that mid-journey is building out their own UI. So that's going to break away from Discord. I would expect before the end of the year, but Yes, like Discord right now is a little bit of a barrier for some people yeah. who are not comfortable in it. It was for me too. The reality is I think if you jump in there once or twice after you get set up, it's not that bad. You figure it out. I think that's what happened with chat GPT too, because it started off, you had to go through Discord and then the- Accessibility. But just boom. And I, yeah, for me mentally even, I don't know why Discord is such a barrier. And I know if I spent 30 minutes on it, I could figure it out, but- it's been a barrier, but you've inspired me. I'm going to go. We, we all have those things, right? There's only so many tools that, like that you want to learn at the end of the day. That's just the reality of it. It sounds like you are on the bleeding edge in so far as how you're utilizing it in your actual marketing campaigns right now. I know it's hard to say, but do you have a sense of maybe across the next 12 to 18 months, how you think mid-journey might change marketing or change the landscape a bit? I think it's going to be huge. Oh man, it, it is already huge for bigger brands and for B2C specifically. I think the question is like, when is B2B going to jump on the train? There are a few, there are a few barriers, right? So let's think about this. We mentioned Discord. I do think that provides an obstacle for some people. There's also a paid component to it. Personally, people may not want to pay for that. But the reality is, right, if, you're, if your company's paying for Shutterstock or Stock Images, Let's reimburse this. Let's expense this. This should be a part of your budget. How much is it right now? You can get like a basic plan for $10 a month. And then it, it all scales up from there. I think I have a $30 plan. And that allows me to do a little bit more than the 10. I think you're capped at maybe the number of images with 10, if I remember correctly. But I think it's going to be massive. I, it, it's a matter of just the Discord piece, people coming up with use cases. So what are all the use cases that I could use this for? And like that sinking in, because there are a lot, there are a lot. I could read off a bunch of them right now, but it's also the learning piece. Do they have somebody on their team that knows it well enough to get the quality there, right? So is there somebody I need to hire for this? Does somebody need to come coach us? What needs to take place there? And then lastly, I would say the, the fourth barrier is probably just the gray areas around legality. So with AI imagery, there's some questions of the way Midjourney got these images is they scraped the web, including copyrighted material in terms of like imagery. Now you can't recreate those styles that were copyrighted. You can't replicate those. You could come close, 
right? But it's machine learning. And so it kind of goes back to the, is this ethical? Is it not? What's the deal? And so I look at precedents for that. There are countries like Japan that have said, hey, look, like anything that's generative AI scraping images is fair game, right? Because this is just too ambiguous and it's hard to track. Mid-journey, if you use a paid plan, which now everything's a paid plan, they do say that they cover you and any image that you do create is covered and you are not liable for that. So my, here's my advice. Here's where I would draw the line in this area of gray space is if you're going to use it commercially or to use it to make money, avoid specific artists, movie directors, product names, anything that's very specific and instead describe that, right? So maybe you want to create something that looks like Nike. Instead of saying Nike, sport, sports athleisure, right? Think of the, the things that describe it. And that would be a way that you could get around it. Because I think at the end of the day, if anybody's going to be in trouble, it would be mid-journey. But let's just say there's a scenario that plays out where people want to see what you put in it as a prompt and you're now making money for it, all those prompts can be tracked. So just be safe, right? Be smart about, hey, if I'm going to use this on a business front, let me stay away from using this director's name that I know has this kind of style for my image and instead describe it in keyword. I think that's all, those are, that's all great advice. Thank you. And it's funny about the liability or indemnification because I know Shutterstock offers that. So it seems mid-journey really coming for Shutterstock with that offering insofar as commercial usage. So I know you've written on LinkedIn about how you really believe that understanding, having efficacy with and using AI is going is something that sets one apart in their career and it's going to be really important in the future professionally. But I can also see that you, as you mentioned, you're into photography, you're a creative person that it seems it's a real creative interest for you as well. If someone isn't naturally as creatively inspired by AI, how would you suggest they stay up to date and informed and how important is it that they do. Definitely important to at least stay informed. Even if you're going to be a late mover on this, I think knowing what's going on is, is super powerful. Yeah. There are going to be different layers of how involved people are. I think we're still at the very early stages, right? So the people that are jumping in pretty heavily right now are really early adopters in all this. I think it's a matter of time until it becomes more mainstream. It is fully integrated, but it's already taken shape and it's already taken shape pretty fast. Like if I'm a student now, like at a college, there are use cases for that. If you're in sales, there are use cases for that. If you're in marketing, you're in product, you're on the C-suite. If you're a consultant, if you've got your own business, like literally the use cases for AI are infinite. How involved do you want to be? And I think the important part to mention here is AI is not to the point yet where Everything is press a button and yes, that's it. Don't need to make any changes. Don't need to tell it anything else. No more context needs to be given. There is a lot of experimentation in that next level of, okay, this isn't quite what I was looking for. Let me iterate, let me iterate, let me iterate. And so that takes patience. It takes uh, a commitment and dedication to keep going back and learn those things. But I would say one thing you could do right now, regardless is 
there are plenty of AI newsletters out there right now. Sign up for a few and they'll give you the headlines of what's happening in real time. And if nothing else, there you go, right? Yeah. You can make the decision when you want to fully jump in, but to, to get an understanding of what's really happening around you, I think you should. And I'll tell you from the business side too, with companies right now, a lot of that VC money, that venture capital money for um, companies that are getting investments with the economy, the inflation, all these things is really heightened and dried up. And where VCs are really investing their time right now, AI companies. Yeah. Right. So, so you just look ahead and yes, it's hot. It's not a fad though. So try to look at it as you're early. And if you want to get involved, take advantage of that window. I think that's all really great advice. There, actually, a guest on this show a few ups ago was Heather Murray, and she has a great AI newsletter for anyone yeah, who's yeah. called AI for Non-Techies. I'd totally recommend that one. Killer title, too. Yeah, it is. It, and it's true. It's AI for Non-Techies. So I find it really informative. Are you going to do a newsletter, Drew? I, I, thoughts cross my mind. I, I don't have a lot of time right now. Imagine, yeah. But the thought has crossed my mind, I think, I'm getting a lot of pride in teaching people mid-journey stuff. Like it, it really is fun. And I think when I first started diving into it, I was in the echo chamber of other people I was around that were in mid-journey and I didn't realize how many people weren't in it at all. And so once I realized that and that kind of clicked, I was like, okay, I want to bring people along. And we touched on photography, but there's like a lot of photography overlap. And it's like a way for me to still get a little bit of that fun. I'll keep you posted on the newsletter though. Yeah. Subscriber one right here. If you do. Is there anything else that I didn't ask that you just want to say or talk about? Can you tell me, is there anything else that you think would be no, helpful? Just maybe for folks who really enjoy this and they want to follow you, like where can they find you? On LinkedIn, obviously I'll put your LinkedIn in the show notes. Anywhere else that you'd want to direct them toward? Yeah, LinkedIn is definitely the best place to find me. Um, I'm active on there. I Again, just going back to the way we kicked off this conversation, I show up at least five days a week and just try to share what I'm learning in real time. A lot of that is more focused on the mid-journey and AI stuff at the moment. But if you have any questions or you'd like a resource or anything, I'm super available. I know sometimes it's a little bit I don't know, at least for me it was. When I first got on and seeing people with big followings, like, are they going to care if I hop in their DMs and ask them a question? I'm not that guy. So if you've got a question, I can help in any sort of way, whether it's AI, marketing, mid-journey stuff. Let's chat. All right. Thank you so much. Like, I learned quite a bit in this combo, and I really enjoyed getting to talk to you. So thank you You're so much. It's a pleasure. I'm glad we were able to, to work this out. I had fun. All right, folks, I hope that you enjoyed that episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked it, please subscribe or review us. And if you want to check out our newsletter, Content People, it is in the show notes. See you next time. Bye.